Our scripture lesson is from Luke chapter 18, Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Let's hear the word of God. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other one. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we pray that you would speak to us from your word this morning. That we would hear not only the words of a preacher, but we would hear the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. We pray, Father, that in line with this parable, that you would comfort the afflicted and perhaps afflict or convict those who are too comfortable as they come this morning to worship. Draw us close to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Leadership Magazine is a magazine for pastors, and it's known uh, not only for some great articles about leading churches and administering churches, but, uh, but it's also got uh, great cartoons, great cartoons in it. And uh, so if you don't read the articles, you at least flip through to see the cartoons. And years ago, they ran a cartoon, and it showed a pastor, and, you know, he's about to, he's about to go into the side door, into the, into the sanctuary, into the platform, you know, and you can see his sermon notes hanging out of his Bible, and it says hell on it. And he's got this sneaky grin on his face because he's turning up the thermostat to about 100 degrees as he's going in to preach. And I thought about that this week because uh, we had this record-breaking heat, you know, 107 degrees in Chattanooga. Who's ever heard of that? And then last week, uh, we only had two out of three air conditioner units working in the sanctuary. It was kind of stuffy. Robert had to take off his jacket. And I thought, you know, maybe, maybe this would be a good time to... To talk, maybe God is telling me I need to speak about judgment and about 
about hell. Well, before you get up to leave, let me reassure you that my topic this morning is, uh, is on the mercy of God. It's on the mercy of God. And I want to ask the question, do you believe in a merciful God? Do you believe in a merciful God? Now, a topic like that sounds very positive and very encouraging and perhaps uh, nothing that's going to be too uh, uh, discomforting. But the mercy of God is ultimately a very challenging topic for us. And so, again, do you believe in a merciful God? Because the Bible, in both the Old and the New Testament, is filled with passages that talk about the mercy of God. And so, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 30 and 31, we read, When you are in tribulation, and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice, for the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. He's a merciful God. And in Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, And I'd love to go into the context of that verse because that's a whole other sermon. We read, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. You know, we have a saying, all good things come to an end. But the scripture has a saying, his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And then when when, uh, John the Baptist came on the scene, Zechariah gave this prophecy. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, Because of the tender mercy of our God. So his his mercies never come to an end. His mercies mercies are tender. Now I know there are some people out there, and it's very popular in our day to to see God as, 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 as kind of an impersonal being. The scripture couldn't give a... Uh, couldn't, couldn't give a more different picture of God. God is, is, a, is a father. He is a compassionate, merciful God who, who has these tender, merciful feelings towards his people. And so in 2 Corinthians, in the New Testament now, we read in chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies. Satan is the father of lies. But God is the father of mercies. And the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. 
So the Bible, and I could just go on and on and on, the Bible is filled with passages that talk about the mercy of God. God is a merciful God. He's a compassionate God. He's a merciful Father. He, he cares for His people. He cares for His sheep. And that's true not only in the New Testament, but also in the Old Testament. This morning, I want to point out at least three ways that God shows His mercy to us. Three ways that God displays or demonstrates His mercy towards us. First of all, God cares for us and provides for us even when we don't really deserve it. God cares for us and provides for us even when we don't really deserve it. And so if you look in Nehemiah chapter 9, uh, here uh, Nehemiah is recounting uh, the, uh, uh, the spiritual history of the people. He's leading them in confession. And so he reads, he says, But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. He's just talked about how God delivered them up from slavery in Egypt and brought them through the Red Sea and parted the waters and he provided for them in the wilderness. And he said, what did they do in response to that? God delivers them from slavery, provides for them in the desert, and what do they do? They, they act presumptuously and they disobey his commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. Now, you might just, if you didn't know the story, you would think, now how's God going to do respond to that all this that God did for his people and and now they completely even after even after going through the Red Sea with the waters parted on either side they're ready to appoint a leader to take them back to Egypt and go back into slavery but Nehemiah says but you are a God ready to forgive gracious and merciful slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them. Even when they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, This is your God who brought you up out of Egypt, and had committed great blasphemies, you in your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light them for the way by which they should go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness and they lacked nothing. Did these people deserve that? Did they deserve the, the mercy of God? Second, third, fourth, fifth chances? No, they didn't deserve it. But God sustained them in the wilderness, and they lacked nothing, and their clothes did not wear out, and their feet did not swell. 
God provides for us and cares for us, even when we don't deserve it. And in this, we see that he's a merciful God. He's a merciful God. In uh, Psalm 145, in verses 8 and 9, we read, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. God is, is merciful, even when we and, 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 and our neighbors and, and uh, really people uh, around the world, we, we, we don't give him thanks, we don't, we don't uh, uh, many of them don't follow him, but uh, he's merciful. Jesus said that God makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. You know, he, he doesn't just send the refreshing rain where the, where the good people are, where the Christians are, where the people who are who are serving him and obeying him and, and, and seeking his face. No, he, he sends the rain across the earth. And... Uh, he makes the sun rise faithfully every day over both the good and the evil. So he is merciful even when we don't deserve it. Secondly, secondly, God shows his mercy to us in that he is patient with us and he is slow to anger and understanding towards our weaknesses, understanding of our weaknesses. And so his mercy is revealed because he is patient with us. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, certainly when I was a younger man, I was very impatient. I'm a little more patient now, unless I'm really tired, and then I get impatient. But I used to be very impatient, and it didn't take too much to get me upset. And uh, I find, hopefully, because of the Holy Spirit at work in my life, uh, a kind of a mellowing going on. And so, you know, sometimes things don't go just the way you want them to go, and you think, Oh, it's really okay. It's really okay. It, it's really not anything to get angry about. I think I'll just let that one go. Do you ever think about God as being slow to anger? Because, I mean, he's a holy God. He's a righteous God. He's a majestic God. And, and that vision of that Isaiah had of the holiness of God and the, and the train of his robe filling the temple and the, and the smoke from the altar filling the temple is still true. It's the same God. And yet, over and over again in Scripture we read that this God, this holy, majestic, all-powerful God, he's slow to anger. He's, 
takes a lot to get him worked up. I wonder if you've thought about that lately. You know, remember, you know, two of Jesus' disciples, they went to a village and they, people, uh, people kicked them out. They weren't uh, very responsive and they said, Lord, don't you want to call down fire on them? Let's just burn them up right now. And Jesus said, let's, let's just go on to the next village. We don't need to do that, sons of thunder. He's slow to anger. Doesn't mean that he doesn't have a righteous anger. And I believe he does. It doesn't mean that that he, he won't be the judge of all the earth because I believe he is. But he's not a hot-headed God who just, you know, just like this. Okay, I'm just waiting. I'm waiting to see what you do today. What I can do. I'm going to get after you. He's not like that. He's slow to anger. And in particular, he is very sympathetic and understanding toward our weaknesses. So we read in Psalm 103, uh, verses 8 through 14. That uh, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. Hey, there's one. I've known some people. I knew a lady once, and boy, if you ever crossed her, she never forgot. She, she waited her time. She, and you know how I know that? Because she would tell you. She would tell you. She was proud of it. You know, she was proud of it. She said, look, when, you know, I'll wait my time, but I'll, I'll get even. I'll get them. And of course, you know when somebody's like this, it's like when somebody talks, you, you ever been around somebody and they're always talking bad about other people? You know when you're not there, who are they talking bad about? They're talking bad about you. you know? She was like that. But God isn't. God doesn't harbor anger. And, and so, so when, when, we, when we confess our sins, when we turn from our sins, when we repent of our sins, what does he say? He says... As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. I'll skip on down then to verse 13. As a father shows compassion to his children... So the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. He knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. I think he knows our physical frailty. I think he knows our spiritual frailty as fallen people. And he doesn't forget that. He doesn't forget that. Doesn't, it doesn't mean that, that he doesn't notice. It doesn't mean that he doesn't care. It doesn't mean that, okay, we can just go live any way we want. But God looks on us with compassion, with, with, with abounding love and mercy, like a father, a loving father looks on his children. And let me tell you, 
as a father. <laughs> um, you know, your children don't always do everything the way you want them to do it. Sometimes they don't do some things that you really think they should have done. Sometimes they do some things that break your heart. But, you know, I, I told my children a long time ago, and I didn't just say it. I meant it from my heart. There is nothing you can do that would make me stop loving you. It might grieve me terribly. It might hurt to the core. But I will always love you. I will always love you. I can't even explain it. That's the way God loves us. Only so much more. Because even the analogy of the best human father, and that's not me, breaks down because God is a heavenly father and his love and his mercy and his compassion towards us is so much greater. He knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. He's patient with us. Boy, we'd be in a pickle if he wasn't, wouldn't we? And this, you see, is the essence of mercy. God does not give us the full punishment that we deserve. That's what mercy really means. That, that he would be completely just to do much more. But he, he holds back his judgment. He's patient, waiting for more people to repent. He's patient, waiting for you to turn. And uh, he doesn't give us the punishment, the full punishment that we really deserve. He's merciful. Now, it's very critical that you remember God is truly grieved and angered with a righteous anger by our sins. But his mercy means that he continues to love and have compassion for us even when we sin. We see this best in that parable of the prodigal son. You know, the prodigal son comes to his father and he demands his inheritance, which uh, is half of, half of everything that the father owns because he's got two sons. Basically, he says... Dad, you don't mean anything to me, but I'd like my share of the money, please, now, while I'm still young enough to enjoy it. And so he goes off to a far country, and he, and he squanders all this money in wine and women and song. And it doesn't take too long to do that, by the way. Uh, didn't take too long back then. Doesn't take too long to do it now. You can go through a lot of money very fast that way. Now, the father never once said, well... I guess times have changed. People used to be too narrow, and my parents were real strict on me, but I guess there's really nothing wrong with this kind of behavior. No, he knew. He knew. The father knew that what his son was doing was foolish. 
It was wrong, it was self-destructive, and it was incredibly dishonoring to him as a father. But still, this father in the parable, he loved his son. He knew his frame. He had compassion on him. He had mercy on him. He prayed for him, I'm sure. He longed for him to come to his senses and to come back home. And when he did, he ran out to meet him and he embraced him. He wouldn't even let the son finish his little prepared speech. He said, quick, bring a robe. Let's slaughter the fattened calf. We've got to have a feast. Because my son who was lost has been found. You see, that's the way God is. That's a picture. That's a picture of, 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 of a merciful God, of a, of a, of a compassionate Merciful, heavenly Father. But as great as that picture is, let me tell you, there's an even greater picture of God's mercy in the Scriptures. And we find that pictured in the rituals of the Old Testament worship and ultimately fulfilled in the ministry of Jesus Christ. And so we read in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What's he saying then? Well, you had in the, in, the, in, the, in the worship that God instituted in the Old Testament, you had the temple, first the tabernacle and then the temple, and you had a system of the priests and a high priest. And there were daily sacrifices and there were sacrifices at special times of the year. But once a year, once a year, On the Day of Atonement, the high priest, after having made a sacrifice for the sins of the people and and for his own sins, would go into not only the holy place, but then through the curtain into the Holy of Holies. Only one time a year did anyone go in there. And he would sprinkle the blood on what is translated in our English Bible as on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. The, the, the earthly habitation of God, at least as represented in the temple. And, uh, and he, would, he would intercede 
for the people. He would, he would intercede. He would meet with God as a high priest and intercede with God for the sins of the people. That God would spare the people. That God would forgive the people. That God would continue to bless the people and be merciful to the people. To his people. To his children. To his sheep. And then we come to the New Testament. And the writer of Hebrews says, you know, all of those sacrifices, all that whole system of worship was just one giant picture of what Christ came to do for us. He is the fulfillment of all of the ceremonial law of the Old Testament. And so Christ is our high priest. And Christ is the one who came as the Son of God, fully divine, and he took on human flesh so that he was also fully human, but without sin. And so guess what? He can understand. He knows. He's not just a father who who has compassion on his children. But he came down and took on human flesh just as we have it. And uh, he lived through a 107-degree day. He knew what it felt like. And he experienced pain and sorrow and temptation, though he never sinned. He knew. And now he is our great high priest entering the Holy of Holies for us, but not an earthly temple but a heavenly temple. This great high priest who can now sympathize with us because he came to dwell with us and in every respect was tempted as we are yet without sin. This great high priest goes and sprinkles not the blood of a bull or a goat, but his own blood. Because he died on the cross for our sins. He suffered the punishment that we deserved. He drank the cup of the wrath of God that was meant for you and for me. And he goes as our great high priest. Once and for all, to make atonement for our sins. And so the writer of Hebrews says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. With confidence. Why? He understands that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Some of you this morning, your whole day, your whole week, if not your whole life, would change if you could just really believe God understands what I'm going through. 
He does. He knows your frame. He's a high priest who sympathizes with your weakness. Doesn't excuse it. But when you turn to him, whether it's in repentance, Father, forgive me. Whether it's in petition, Lord, help me. I just, I need, I need help to get through this situation. Let me tell you, he understands. Because he's been there in spades. And finally, God's mercy is shown to us most of all that he sent his only son to die on the cross for our sins. That we might be forgiven. And that we might be saved. He sent his only son, as we've already mentioned. Now, Paul describes this in a very doctrinal way in Ephesians chapter 2. And he says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So we were following the ways of the world. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But then notice this in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, we were spiritually dead. We weren't just spiritually asleep. We weren't just spiritually sick. We weren't just spiritually off the mark. We were spiritually dead. We had absolutely no interest in the things of the Spirit. And what little surface interest we had is ultimately a result of the Holy Spirit and, and common grace. But we were dead spiritually. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. But I like the way he puts it in Titus, in Titus chapter 3. Because here, he says in verse 3, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. In other words, God was not impressed by our righteousness, by our little efforts to clean up our act. That's not why he came. That's not why he died on the cross. That's not why he saved us. No, it was according to his mercy that he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly 
through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, I'm afraid that most people today don't feel that they are really sinners who need to be saved. Uh, I found this illustration in uh, this book, Outrageous Mercy, by William Farley. And he talks about a survey that was done in 1997 by U.S. News and World Report. Americans were asked whom they thought most likely to go to heaven. 65% thought Oprah Winfrey and Michael Jordan were very likely to go to heaven. 79% believed that Mother Teresa would go to heaven. There was only one person who scored higher than Mother Teresa. You guessed it, the respondent. Everybody on the average rated themselves high, one percentage point higher than Mother Teresa. We're all going to be there. We don't feel like we need to be saved. And I would submit to you, if you feel that way, then you cannot really appreciate the mercy of God. You don't really understand what mercy is about. Here's what mercy is about. We, we have an expression. And, uh, and that, that is uh, uh, that, that, that someone throws themselves on the mercy of the court. Now, now, who would do that? When to use that expression? This is a person who has either been convicted of some heinous crime or they have confessed to some heinous crime because the evidence was overwhelming and there was just no defense. There was no defense to be made. There are no appeals to be made. They're out of legal maneuvers and options. The only thing left for them to do is to throw themselves on the mercy of the court and say, yes, I'm guilty. Please be merciful. Don't give me the full punishment that I deserve. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, my friends, that is what you've done. If you are really a believer in Jesus Christ, you have thrown yourself on the mercy of the court. You have thrown yourself on the mercy of the cross. And you've said, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. And if this morning God is speaking to you and you realize that you are also a sinner and that you have no defense before a holy and righteous God, and that you have been presumptuous of His kindness and of His mercy and of His patience, then throw yourself on the mercy of Christ and His cross today. And He will be merciful to you as well. Two men went up to the temple to pray and one stood there and he thanked God for all the things that he wasn't. 
wasn't like that tax collector. He prayed. He tithed. He was just a good fellow. Thank you, God. The other man was a tax collector. Collaborator with the enemy. Mostly corrupt, pocketing a large amount of the taxes for his own personal use. Nothing new under the sun there. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Which one went home that day justified before God? It wasn't the Pharisee. It wasn't the self-righteous Pharisee. It was the tax collector who threw himself on the mercy of God. Do you believe in a merciful God? I sincerely hope that you do. But not as a God who winks at sin, who minimizes sin, who doesn't really worry about that, but as a God whose mercy is so great and who loves us so much that He sent His only Son to die for us in spite of all of our sin. Throw yourself on the mercy of His court that you might be forgiven and that you might have eternal life. There's a wideness in God's mercy like the wideness of the sea. There's a kindness in His justice, which is more than liberty. There is welcome for the sinner and more graces for the good. There is mercy with the Savior. There is healing in His blood. For the love of God is broader than the measure of our mind, and the heart of the eternal is most wonderfully kind. There is plentiful redemption in the blood that has been shed. There is joy for all the members in the sorrows of the head. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your mercy. And we confess that we need your mercy, that we are the tax collectors and the publicans. And though our neighbors may not know it, and though we don't always even act out on all of the sinful impulses and thoughts of our hearts, before a holy and exalted and righteous God, we are sinners desperately in need of the mercy and grace of God. We throw ourselves on your mercy today. We thank you that Christ, in, 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 in his suffering on the cross, paid in full the penalty for our sin. We thank you that he is a high priest who understands, and we can come before him boldly and receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.